House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. An author of a new book that just came out called True Crime Chronicles, um, Mike Rothmiller. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, now this is quite a book. Uh, this covers a lot. Um, how did you yourself getting into writing this book, and why? Uh, well, it's, it's a very interesting story. I was researching another book, because I've written quite a few, over 20 books now, and I was going through the archives uh, and reading crime stories that were written back in the 1800s and some into the 1600s in England and the U.S., and these stories were fascinating. I, I just couldn't get enough of them. I just kept going over, finding new ones and new ones and new ones and reading them. And then I tell my friends about them. I said, you can't believe what happened in, you know, in New York during this riot or during this murder. And uh, as I kept going through, I was spending a lot of time pulling these stories out. And finally I said, this would make a great book. And uh, so I contacted uh, Steve Jackson at Wild Blue Press. And immediately he said, this is a great book. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's what led us to this. Wow. You know, that's crazy. Uh, so do you, do you have a, a basic interest in true crime itself, um, or is that something different for you? No, I do, because I was a cop for 10 years and a detective in Los Angeles, and uh, I worked on, well, I worked undercover vice uh, in Hollywood. I worked patrol as a field sergeant. And then for five years, I was working undercover on the mafia. I was in the organized crime unit. And so, obviously, you know, that has to do with true crime. And I always had an interest in that, and especially the unusual aspects of true crime. Uh, you know, somebody walking into a liquor store holding it up. Well, yeah, that happens every day probably a thousand times, but if if they walk in and they've got a, a large python around their neck and then you, or they're using a rattlesnake as the weapon, that's real interesting and that's different. What, what particularly um, got you into writing crime stories from the 1800s? Like, why, why select that area? Well, I was researching uh, another book and I was digging into archives uh, from the 1800s, 17, and 1600s in England and the U.S. regarding crime, true crime stories. And the stories I found were mesmerizing. I mean, I was just fascinated by them uh, because they were not, most of them were not stories that people have ever heard of, and they were just forgotten in time. So as I kept finding more and more and more of these stories, several, you know, by now several hundreds, I just thought that, my God, this would make a terrific book. And uh, it's two volumes. This is volume one. The second volume will be out in a couple of months, a few months. And uh, it's just absolutely fascinating reading, uh, if you like true crime. Do you, now, do you find that the crimes were a whole lot different in the 1800s than they are now? Or is it just that, you know, we've just got more advancements, we're a little bit better technology-wise, but or is it pretty much the same old thing, but just a different time? Um, 
well, you know, murder's murder. It's just how it's done. And uh, the ones that I have in the book, they're very different uh, than what you would see today. For instance, one about Belle Gunness. She, for a better term, ran a bed and breakfast. And when people would stop in, if she thought they had any money, she would chloroform them while they were sleeping and then kill them by cutting their head off and cutting their throat, then she would have them buried in her garden uh, or fed to her hogs. And so nobody knows how many she really killed. It could be as many as 50, 60. Uh, but nobody knows what happened to her either. Um, it's just a mystery what happened to her, if she lived or she died. And then you have Dr. Holmes, which you may have heard about, but uh, he built a huge, they call it the castle, and... Uh, <clears throat> He had all sorts of rooms, trap doors, secret rooms, and so forth. But then in his basement, he had his own crematorium, and he had vats uh, where he would dissolve bodies. And so he would have people come in. He would kill them in various fashions. He would dissolve their body in the vats, or he would put them in the crematorium. And then what he would do with the bones that were left from the vat, he had a guy articulate at least three of them skeletons put them together so they're standing there in different poses and he enjoyed looking at those um, then you have another one I, I have about serial killers the Bender family and um, they were running like a little store a little restaurant out in the middle of nowhere and when somebody would stop in for a meal uh, they would put the guy up against the window and one either the son or the daughter or the husband would go outside well the woman is talking to him, hit him in the head of a hammer and axe, knock him out or kill him, drop him through a trap door into the basement and then cut his throat and then they would take him out and bury him in the farm. So there's crazy stories like that. Um, then there's the stories, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, the baby farmers. And they were primarily in England, there were some in the U.S., but what these people would do, uh, they were all women and they would uh, advertise in the newspapers and say, if you have a child, an infant, that you can't raise or you don't want to raise, contact me and for like $50, you know, I'll take care of your child. I will raise the child as my own or I will have them adopted out. So these baby farmers, uh, there were a number of them in England, they would do this and they would take in the babies and the baby may have been a day old or a week old or several months old the baby farm would get paid whatever they advertised for and as soon as the the mother left they would strangle the baby and throw it in the river and this probably accounts for between the three baby farms have about at least 800 to 1,000 babies they murdered that way mm. so yeah it's it's Murder's murder, but it's very different, and the people that were doing it uh, were just horrendous. I also have uh, several items about lynchings that occurred uh, in the 1800s, and the vast majority of people, they, they think that it was only whites lynching African Americans. The majority of the times, that's absolutely true. But what many people don't know, most people know, is that there were blacks lynching blacks for the same crimes that the whites were lynching them for. 
and some of these stores you get into were, um, for instance, a this African American guy. They said assaulted a young girl, and he was in jail. And the sheriff uh, and those people were white and everything. Well, people from their community, uh, all African Americans, got together. They went down there, busted the guy out of jail, took him out and hung him. And uh, there are many stories like that, which is it's very surprising because you never hear about that. And I was surprised when I found the number of times that occurred in different states and over a period of a number of you know, quite a few years. Um, so that's something that most people will find shocking beyond these murders that we talked about. And then I, I thought there are two interesting stories um, about people that were punished for being a witch. And uh, it's just really, you read them and you go, God, these people were crazy because somebody just accused, hey, I think this, this guy and this woman, they're in their 60s, and this girl says, I think they're, she's a witch. And he's a witch too. So the, the community gets together. They go over there and they say, "Hey, are you a witch?" No, we're not. Oh, well, no, we think you are. We're going to try you by water. And so what they do? They they tied them up, tied their hands and feet together, threw them in the pond. And if they sank, well, and died, well, obviously they they probably weren't a witch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there you go. But if they survived somehow and got up, well, they probably were a witch because they're able to survive that, you know, and then they killed them anyway. But it's just very, very bizarre stories from the 1800s and 1700s, or primarily the 1800s. Yeah, you're uh, damned if you do, and you're damned if you, if you don't on, on that one if you're a witch. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a lot to unpack there with a lot of those, uh, you know, um, true crimes and, and, and criminals that you mentioned there, but uh, you, you say that murder is murder, but then there's the argument that no, we're actually getting more, we're, we're, we're violent, but we're actually getting more violent. Um, do you think that's true, or is it really just more media coverage? Because I, I think, you know, like well, you said, human nature is human nature, and we just, we just kill. Now there's just more coverage of it. Right. I think there's two things. One, the population has grown dramatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, crime in the 1800s, the other thing I know is crime in the 1800s, 1880s, so forth, uh, they treated criminals as criminals. There was no excuse. You know, they said, you, you killed Larry, you shot him down cold, we're going to try you, and then that's it. Uh, there's not, nothing comes up to say, well, you know, when he was young, uh, he didn't get his favorite toy, or his, he didn't play in sports teams, he wasn't a good athlete, so excuses weren't allowed, uh, or they just didn't accept them, I should say. And so it's changed in that respect. Um, and then also with the media coverage, the 24-7 coverage, basically live within seconds, that's changed everything because there are crimes that you uh, that occur and instantly it's broadcast worldwide where if it was back in the 1800s it had to go through print and teletypes, nobody would have cared about it. Nobody would have learned about it. So I think it's a combination of issues. They also policed quite differently back then, didn't they? Like in the 1800s, they weren't doing fingerprints or mm. <laughs> DNA or anything like that. No, no, they they had no idea what that was. Um, and uh, a lot of it is really interesting because uh, during the cowboy times, and I've got those stories in here about 
the Earp Brothers and Doc Holliday and other outlaws like that. And what is truly interesting is that in many cases I read where a guy would, or a couple of guys would go in and say they'd rob the local bank, they would take off. Or they'd shoot somebody and kill them, they'd take off. The posse goes after them. If the posse didn't capture them within a week, a couple of weeks, that was the end of it. And these people would come back to town maybe a year or two later and all is forgotten. So it, it's rather interesting in that respect. But if they caught them immediately, then there was a trial. In, in many cases, there's a trial, sometimes just a straight lynching. But there was a trial, and the judge would render his verdict and say, okay, you know, you're guilty. Uh, you're going to be executed by hanging. You have some of them, there were statues, like they had to wait 100 days after the verdict to hang them. And they'd hang them. There was no appeal, uh, no nothing. And so when you were convicted and you were to be executed, you knew that was going to happen within three months, uh, if not sooner. So it's changed in that respect. It, it's rather interesting to see what they thought of crime then and what they how they viewed the actual criminal, um, which yeah. is I just, I just wonder how, how much of it would have been uh, based on more um, how people felt about other people. Like when you mentioned the witches or how many people would have been um, just hung or taken out and shot because they weren't liked. You know, they weren't they weren't popular in the community. I oh, just plenty. How, how much? Yeah, and that's sort of a. You know, I think we've gone too far now, but um, with with trying to defend a lot of people, but um, it's kind of I bet you it wasn't very far then. I bet you a lot of people got uh, you know uh, hung or shot without I, I, really a good reason. Yes, I, I from reading it, I would bet that. Uh, Regarding lynchings, uh, probably 70, 80 percent of the people, and I'm talking lynching, uh, whites were also lynched. Uh, Mexican Americans were their Mexican thing because it wasn't part of the U.S., but they were also lynched for various things. And sometimes it said uh, after they lynched them, maybe a week or two later, they found out that guy was really innocent. And it was like, oh well, we made a mistake. <laughs> Oh, well, sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's just, it's sad in that respect, uh, because vigilante justice, 99% of the time, it's, it's, it's really bad. In those days, there's times where you need, they needed it in a community, uh, and they went after it, and they took care of business. Uh, but today, there's just, vigilante yeah. justice is just absolutely horrible. Yeah, when ridiculous. people try to pull it off, yeah. Yeah, you know, when you talk in the 1800s, you've got a lot of these, um, you know, Western outlaws and stuff. You talk, you know, like there's Wyatt Earp and and Billy the Kid and things like that. When you get characters like that, um, they're real popular. Like those th those guys were not necessarily all good. In fact, they did a lot of bad things. Uh, but I think the general perception of them is that they're kind of heroes. Um, did they find were were they treated that way back then too as, as someone that people looked up to, or was it different? Do you think it, it, it was different? And from reading these stories back then, as an example, the I have stories about the the Earps, uh, the Dalton Gang, 
an Indian renegade called Bigfoot, and then in the volume two that's coming out, uh, stories about um, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, Billy the Kid, Jesse James, and then this bandit uh, that was raiding California. And <clears throat> most of the stories, and you look at them then, is as an example, the Earths. When they were in law enforcement, people said, okay, great, you know, that was in law enforcement, but uh, the O.K. Corral shootout is what made them famous. Otherwise, they would have just drifted off into history. But it was the O.K. Corral shootout, and then a guy wrote a novel about it back then, and that made them, you know, heroes in some people's minds. Well, when you look at their complete history from articles, um, they were moving from town to town, the brothers and Doc Hollytime because they're getting chased out of some town yeah. <laughs> uh, for their criminal acts. I'm like, I have a copy of a warrant for Wyatt Earp. He was a horse thief. That's basically how he started out. And uh, the warrant was issued for him, but he ran to Indian territory, and so they, you know, just, okay, well, he's gone, forget it. But it's over. But uh, they got chased out of more towns than not. And when they would pick up the job as a marshal or deputy sheriff, whatever, that was in most cases because they couldn't find any other work. And in a lot of those towns, it was just, hey, we need somebody to be the sheriff because the last five got killed. Okay, here's your $30 a month and a badge. Be the sheriff or the marshal. And so that's what they were doing. But what I have in the book from the actual articles is that when they weren't actively involved in being the marshal or the sheriff or the deputies they had their own criminal enterprises going and some areas what they would do they would uh, rob stagecoaches and uh, what they did is on Wells Fargo was running the, the lines and they had an informant in there they were splitting with and he'd say okay there's a, a stage coming in Tuesday or Wednesday at such such time, and it's going to have $50,000 or $30,000 of gold on it. And they go, terrific. So they would go out, they would rob the stage in disguise. They would come back in the town. The stage would come in and say, hey, we were just robbed. They'd go, dang, let's put together a posse. They'd put together a posse of themselves and a few other guys. They'd go out looking for these bandits. Of course, they never found them because it was them, you know. <laughs> And this didn't come to light until the guy at Wells Fargo, their informant, uh, was getting squeezed, and uh, he told everybody what happened, and then they got ran out of town, the herbs. Um, another thing that's in there, you probably heard the name Ike Clanton, the Clanton's from the OK Corral mm -hmm. uh, shootout. Well, <clears throat> I didn't realize until I found all the articles on it from back then, but... Uh, the Earp's younger sister eloped with Ike Clanton. This was well before Tombstone and everything. She eloped with him, and the Earp's found out about it, and they chased them down and uh, basically opened fire when they saw them in this hotel, uh, Ike Clanton and their sister. They just shot through the window at them, shot her, she dies. You know, but the story goes on more than that, what happened. But they were really some uh, interesting fellows, the Earp the family and Doc Holliday, because they one day they're criminals, the next day they're 
law enforcement. And, I guess uh, there was no real, um, you know, academy. I guess there was no training no. for Well, that's where police came from. They came from the Wild West. That's what birthed uh, really organized police um, in that way, uh, modern police, my, I thought, at least in my opinion. Yeah, there was no police academy. It was, you want to be the sheriff, you got it. You know, now go out there and take care of business. And uh, that's how all these guys got in. I have a lot of things about Bat Masterson I, I pulled out. And all the old old West lawmen. Uh, and except for the vast majority, like Bat Masterson is probably pretty good overall, but the rest of them were really shady. And then I also have about Wyatt when... Uh, he was finally chased out of town. He's chased out of Alaska and other places, and he was a boxing referee in San Francisco. There's no doubt that he took a bribe to throw this fight. And everybody in all the newspaper accounts are saying that he took a bribe to throw the fight. It was a heavyweight championship, and uh, he never lived that down. But these are all things that, because of television and movies and everything else, You've never heard about the herbs, and it, it completely shines a different light on them. Uh, it actually makes them far more interesting than if they were just straight marshals or sheriffs the whole their whole lives. Yeah, I have to wonder why um, society went that way. Like all the all the shows that they've made from these Western uh, outlaws. And, you know, they've made them into kind of heroes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, I think part of the reason is that uh, they, well, the movies, they, they purchased the book or something, or one of their screenwriters put a story together based on other books that they've read, and they were unaware of this. In, or if they did come up with it, they said, well, you know, that's not going to really be good for a storyline, so let's not put it in. Because um, I used to be a television producer, so I know how that goes. But it's just completely astounding when you read about people like that, when you have your preconceived notion of what history has told you about a person, and then all of a sudden you start seeing other factors that play into it that are just the opposite. Uh, and it is very, very surprising. Uh, so... Well, did, you, did you find that, um, like serial killers, when you talk about H.H. H. Holmes, was there a lot of um, serial killers like him that you found back then in the 1800s, or was that very rare? Um, he, he was rare because he was wealthy and he built, basically built one city block, uh, multi-story house to do everything in. But there were many, many serial killers, but they just weren't cur- called serial killers like I have uh, would it be in volume two on Jack the Ripper and Jack the Ripper from England and what well, what I found with the rather interesting all the stories I've ever heard about Jack the Ripper is that nobody knew who he was well they did know who he was and they did they couldn't arrest him because they couldn't prove it was him but what they did is the chief of Scotland Yard went to their basically say their secretary of state for the country and under the power of the crown that secretary of state ordered this guy to be taken into custody for life and they did that put him in an insane asylum uh, 
so they knew who he was, and they got him. Uh, then there's other one, uh, a female, Lizzie Holiday. Uh, she was she was absolutely nuts, and uh, the people she killed. Then there's one, the Texas servant girl, Annihilator, which <clears throat> he would break into. Most of well, let me back up a little. Most of the servant girls, they lived as housekeepers or cooks with wealthy white families. Most of the girls were, were black, not all of them, though. And what this guy would do, he would break into the house at night because the girls all lived on the premises, and he would hack them to death with a hatchet, and then sometimes he would drag him out the window and then chop him up. And nobody ever found out who he was. Uh, there's... A, couple of women that enjoyed using poison. They poisoned everybody. Uh, there's something in Nebraska murder. There was the Atlanta Ripper who killed about 18 women <coughs> from all walks of life and he would just basically go down the street at night and if some woman got into a dark area and alley, he'd grab them, cut their throat, cut them up. Uh, so there was a lot of things like this. And then there was the New York Ripper. Um, they were just quite a few serial killers at the time um, and they gave them different names the New York one because he's in New York and Atlanta but there are just quite a few serial killers uh, more so than you would think were around and more so than today actually um, just looking into the research not just staying with 1800s but yeah. Who who do you um, who have you found is the earliest recorded serial killer? Uh, there. Well, you, you you can go you know way way back in time, and there were uh, various clans, uh, you know, in wars and before Roman times. So you, you'd have to kind of say, well, if it was just a criminal of a type that lived in the town, did certain things. Um, there were some that go back to the 1600s that I was able to find in England out of English newspapers uh, where they killed, well, they weren't quite sure how many people they killed, but uh, it was along the lines of Jack the Ripper and so forth. They'd find these bodies chopped up. Most of them were, which interesting, most of them were, were killed with an axe back then in the 1800s uh, before really guns got that popular. They used axes an awful lot. And that was because they had to use wood stoves and everything. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I would say from looking at it. Uh, some of them, as far back as the 1600s, there were some serial killers. But obviously they didn't call them that, and they weren't quite sure what they were. Just these bodies kept showing up. I just wonder, you know, if you get that... Uh uh, that confident about uh, Jack the Ripper, you're going to get a lot of Ripperologists after you. <laughs> oh well, this is oh sure. Uh, it all comes from uh, not all of it, but a lot of the <clears throat> chief detective from Scotland Yard that was in charge of the Jack Ripper Jack Ripper investigation at the time. Uh, he gave a long interview that I have to a paperback that when he goes into detail, he says. We got this guy, this is how we got him, and this is where he went. And uh, then there were other articles within about a 15-year span in the 1800s there where they're talking about that said the Ripper was captured and he went to the insane asylum. He went to Broadmoor Sane Asylum for the criminally insane in England, and that place is still operating today, that insane asylum. But uh, 
you have to go with what would be the best source. And the chief in charge of the investigation uh, would be the best source uh, from the time. And that's what he's saying. So you have to be about 95% positive. And that comes from the time when I was a detective. You know, you you listen to what people have to tell you, but then you look at the whoever's giving the information that you go, this sounds viable, this is provable, we have evidence suggesting this, even though if it's not 100%, that's what you go with. And that's why I went with this. I was very leery about it, but then when I found this information, uh, the interview by the chief of detectives, I said, this is pretty strong evidence, um, the strongest that I've ever seen. So what do you think about the the policing back then. Um, now, I've heard stories that a lot of times all they did was wash down the scene. You mean, like, blood and everything? Yeah. Like, they never really kept a lot of the evidence as we would do now. Well, no, that's that's true, because, one, they, they didn't understand, uh, you know, forensic and scientific investigation and so forth and uh, so they, they talk about that in some of these articles about how they would find like this, the New York Ripper um, in the hotel they found the body and the intestines are stacked up coiled up on a table and so forth this woman and they followed the blood trail and into the other rooms and so forth and so you have that and then there are times they were using uh, bloodhounds to track people down uh, from the murder scene, and sometimes that would work. A few times they talked about the type of uh, weapon, knife, or axe that was used. And so they had some knowledge of forensics uh, and how that would come into play as far as going to trial. But was really interesting is there were no, especially in England at the time and here, there were no Miranda rights. And they interrogated people uh, probably in the same fashion they do in Mexico and other places. And uh, so it was completely different in that respect of what was going on and how it was done. But amazingly, uh, they solved a lot of crimes. And then there were other times, uh, obviously, innocent people were literally hung. And uh, because of the evidence they had or they didn't have. And it was just a matter of, well, I think he did it, so that's good enough, so let's hang him. So it, it's changed, obviously, dramatically for the better. For me, Mike, uh, there was, quite frankly, a lot of disgusting parts uh, and stories included, but uh, the baby farmers were, you know, was probably the most horrendous for me, taking yeah. children under you know false pretenses of caring for them, only to eventually kill them all for money, pretty much. And there were several, like you mentioned, so probably thousands of children's lives were stuffed out. doesn't really get much lower than that, but that, was, for me, was the most despicable. What, for you, was the worst part of the research or the most despicable story? Um, well, the ones in the book would, you know, I have to agree, the, the baby farmers, because I found that very shocking, very shocking. Um, so... That's what, what I would say was what uh, impacted me the most, mm. just thinking about this, um, because there was 
lot of stories I have that weren't included in the book, but just knowing that these women would seem like nice, caring women, uh, maybe a grandmotherly type or whatever, and the, these women would take their babies there and, uh, you know, it's obviously was tearing at them, giving up their child and having to pay to give it up and walking away saying, geez, thank you for taking my child and raising my child and the woman's going, hey, I'll treat the child really well, don't worry her and I'll adopt her out. And this is the woman gets out of sight. The woman strangles the baby, you know, and goes, throws in the river. Um, so it's just the callousness of it um, was just really, I, I found rather shocking and uh, how these women would do it because from what I read, all the research, all of them were women, the baby farmers. Uh, some were probably assisted by men, maybe their husbands, boyfriends, who knows. But all of the stories and all the women who were hung, executed for it, uh, not one man involved. So it's just, it's it's rather shocking. That's probably the most shocking aspect of the entire book is the baby farmers. And I thought that there was a few rarefied air there. I mean, all the baby farmers pretty much were females. Um, you mentioned the bloody benders before. I mean, that's a family of serial killers. I mean, that's rare in itself. Multiple yeah. female killers within that family. So, I mean, you hit on a lot of different rarefied air in the serial, you know, when it came to serial killers. Oh, yeah, yeah. These are really strange. They're, they're mm -hmm. different. A family of serial killers, they work together as a team. And then uh, homes and Bell Guinness, she had her three little kids there the whole time she's doing this. And, uh, you know, just the very cold, calculating aspect of the way they murdered people uh, was just astounding. And I think one other thing I found was uh, I have a number of short stories at the end of the book. And uh, one was rather upsetting to a lot of people. I haven't mentioned it to, but... Um, this girl, young girl uh, in her teens, walked past some uh, Mexican woodcutters down in uh, the southwest. And she gets home, she tells her father, she says, Hey, uh, when I walked by, this boy down there made some comment to me, like an insult, or he said, Hey, you're pretty, or whatever. So the father gets his friends, they go down there immediately, and they tell the Mexicans, hey, this boy here, the girl points him out and said, yeah, that's him. Well, he said something derogatory in my daughter, so you've got to whip him. And so they were forced to whip this boy, and they whipped him, and they killed him. And after that, they go home. The girl says, well, Dad, i got to tell you something. Well, what's that? I made this story up. And, you know, so you hear things like this that went on back then. And, uh, you know, once again, vigilante justice uh, over a lie, and this boy was murdered. Um, and there are other ones. Uh, there's a, a girl that was uh, raped. They ran the posse out. They captured the guy, and they asked the girl, so what do you want to do with him? She says, hang him. Okay. So they hang him. The girl's a judge, jury, and executioner. And uh, then... On the the lighter side, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here, like, but on the lighter side, uh, I had this one about a, uh, a dentist, and he wrote this girl who was in her early 20s a letter. She, 
and she she thought the letter was bad news, and so he shouldn't have written it to her. So she goes there, and at the time there was a law where if you were insulted by somebody, that was a criminal offense, and so uh, they wanted to horsewhip the dentist in town. The dentist says, no, you're not going to horsewhip me. He pulls out some pistols. He barricades himself in his office. And so they finally have a parlay after a number of hours, and they agree. So, okay, the dentist, if he comes out and apologizes to you in front of the town, will that be okay? He doesn't have to be whipped. Yeah, that's okay. He does that, but he had to leave town immediately after that. <laughs> so it's some craziness. And uh, then in... Yeah. Volume 2, I have all of the other rippers, which, it even though they they didn't kill anybody, uh, they were rather bizarre, and, and some of the stories are rather comical, and that was Jack the Haircutter, Jack the Kisser, Jack the Hugger, and Jack the Cutter. Now, have you ever heard of those guys? <laughs> no. And, uh, <laughs> so, Jack the Kisser. Yeah, right. and, well, Jack the Haircutter. Sign me up. And yeah, you got it. Uh, and there were copycats going on of Jack, the, of all these guys. But if Jack the Haircutter, what these guys would do, they would ride down a lot of times in a carriage around New York, Washington, D.C. And if they saw somebody with long hair, a gal with made braids, they'd jump out, run up to her with a razor, cut her hair off, and run away with the ponytail or the ponytails. So that was a hair cutter. The other story is Jack the Kisser, same sort of thing. The guys would uh, be going down the street, grab the woman, kiss her, sometimes tell a poem to her and how beautiful she was, then run away into the night. And there are many stories about that. Jack the Hugger. Did, did, he, read, uh, you know. did he read the poems as he ran away? Like. <laughs> no, he'd kiss them, then he'd hold them, then he would tell the come off with his poem and then let him go and run away. That sounds and, like a great uh, date to me. I don't know. Hey, yeah, it's cheap. <laughs> and Jack the Hugger, he would he would hug hug women like that. And then Jack the Cutter, this was a time when women were wearing very long dresses that dragged on the ground in New York and in Washington, D.C., and he thought that was just disgusting. And so... <laughs> He would see one, he would jump out with a big pair of shears, and he would cut their dress up so it didn't t doesn't touch the ground any longer. And uh, there were a number of those guys that started doing it. You know, so the craziness is also involved in, in these stories. Uh, and fortunately, I said nobody was killed or injured, uh, <laughs> seriously injured. And But there was one time, was funny, I've got a great story in there, and Jack the Kisser, he chose the wrong gal, and her sister was near her, and they were both in like the early 20s, and both of them said they're, they're athletes and so forth. So they beat the hell out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so justice was served on the street, you know. Yeah, for, yeah. street justice. For yeah. No lynching, oh. luckily, for that guy. <laughs> no, no, he, oh. just, he was beaten severely by these two, two girls. By the witches. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, have you? Do you have a website or something like that that people can go and find out about you, or do you just have the book? Uh, basically, the easiest way is uh, going on Amazon. There's quite a bit, and they just search my name, Google it. There's probably 
2,000 websites that have stuff about me on there. Oh. And, and the book is on Amazon now and uh, available. And like yeah. I mentioned earlier, oh. it just hit number one today for hot new releases. Oh. Very nice. Well done. Uh, we're we're going to have that up on our website, and we'll have the book there and, and Wild Blue and the whole thing, so people listening can just do one click and pick up your book. Um, again, our guest has been uh, author Mike Rothmiller, and the book is True Crime Chronicles. Thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll say you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.